Hey, Fred, it's Doreen. I just called to wish the front porch a very happy first birthday. This old set of nicely nailed together boards is holding up quite nicely. Uh, I'm very excited for your new Starship. I have listened to most of the episodes. I missed some of the earlier ones, but uh, I'm, I have heard most all of them, and it's been really exciting to hear the evolution of where your work started, where it is now, and where it's going. And I'm just happy to be here on the porch with you for a few seconds to celebrate your hard work and dedication to something that matters. I'm also really glad that you're finding joy in making this content for people because it really does mean something. And to me, it seems like the joy that was taken out of your education career is now channeled into this space where you can make a difference for everybody. So happy birthday, Front Porch Podcast. I love you. And I'll catch you soon. Bye. Hi, Fred. This is Laura Ingram from That Other Laura Ingram. Uh, I want to wish you a very happy anniversary for your podcast. I want to, to leave a quick message to quickly say that I adore this podcast still. From the time I first started listening to it, I thought that what you were trying to do was admirable and that your voice was just so soothing and wonderful and I still love the podcast and all the progress that it's made down to right now as you are entering um, I think it's your 64th episode I thought I saw but your one year anniversary um, thank you uh, so much for what you do uh, it's been a pleasure not only getting to know you through the podcast but also in several different projects that we've been able to work on together and I just wanted to leave this message and let you know how appreciative I am of the podcast and of all your work and everything that you've done you know and I hope that you continue doing it because I really do think that this is a voice and a show and just a whole thing between you and, and the Mindwave universe that that is really wonderful in this world and we need more of it. So thank you for all your thoughts and time and good luck in the future and I look forward to several more years of this of this podcast. So happy anniversary. Front Porch Fred, hi, how's it going? This is uh, at Congress Post BI on Twitter. My name is Anthony. I've seen a lot of your Facebook posts, man, and uh, part of the podcast. Got it listed on the website, gamewasright.com. I appreciate everything you're doing, and uh, yeah, saw your post, said you want a voicemail, so there you go, bro. Thank you for everything you do. Take it easy. Hey Fred, just wanted to say hey, I loved your French Porch podcast and the reference to the Beatles. Keep it up. 
Have a great day. Stay safe and wash your hands. See you later. Hey, Fred. This is Ron. Uh, just wanted to respond to your how can you increase your audience. Um, have you ever heard of Seth Godin? Uh, he's a marketing guy that I followed for a couple uh, years. Uh, he has several podcasts on the Tim Ferriss Show. Uh, I would listen to him. He, he definitely uh, has some recommendations that I think you might find interesting. Uh, and it aligns with the values of, of uh, your front porch. So uh just like to kind of direct you in that direction. And uh, thanks for doing what you do. Take care. Bye-bye. The listeners... Um, this is Corey from Hashtag Coffee and the Moving Forward Podcast and Chirp and and then and then and then. Um, I was in Fred's orbit when um, me and, and I think a few others basically thanked him to start a podcast um, of any kind. I I believe that I joked that if he made a podcast reading the phone book, I would probably listen. And I don't think anyone knew or expected or knew to expect or had any clue of the titan that Fred would become. And, you know, this is the first year, right? We're sometimes concerned with the number of listeners that, uh, that Fred has. Uh, and I get that. I spent a lot of time doing the same thing. Um, but Fred will tell you that his main thing is if he changes even one mind, if he changes even one life, then it was worth it. We've already kind of done that with me. Um, because of many conversations that I've had with Fred, I'm forcing myself to put myself in situations where it is very, very easy to be kind and very, very easy to not, um, dive into conflict that will not produce any results. Uh, whereas before, I was kind of going down a pretty pugilistic path. <clears throat> um, but it's part of the reason that I stopped doing the Moving Forward podcast. It's part of the reason why um, I decided to start building Chirp, so that instead of just my conversation, I could try to change everybody's conversation. Um, and he's a voice that needs to be heard. And so I, I hope that he plays this whole thing on his show. And I hope that you, listener, will pledge in your mind to help me out with something. I think the only failing that a friend has left is that sometimes he doesn't believe in himself. And that's tragic. And so I want everyone listening to this to believe in him for him, to catch him when he tries the self-deprecating humor, and to make sure that he knows that he's extremely valuable, invaluable, um, and that his show is only going to go in one direction. It's going to get better, it's going to get bigger, and it's going to help one more person, and then 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 one more person. One more person. And one more person. And one more person.
obviously didn't call in because I'm right here. We're doing this together. I love you, Fred. Happy first. Welcome to my socially distanced party. What the hell are we celebrating? Fred's Front Porch Podcast turns one year old today. As someone once said, what a long, strange trip it's been. So much has happened since all this began. It's something just short of miraculous I'm here to share this episode with you. I ought to have been dead before the show ever started. But I'm not unlike Stella. I have always depended on the kindness of strangers. I really didn't know what I wanted this to be when I first began. I had my fundamental principles. So, what are my six fundamental beliefs? First, I believe all people, whether I agree with their life choices or not, are deserving of the basics of human survival. This means all of us should have food, shelter, appropriate clothing for the climate in which we reside, medical care, a decent education, and the opportunity to communicate with others. It doesn't matter whether we agree about anything at all. We don't need to. All we need to do is exist, and we deserve to have our basic human needs met. I'm not nearly wise enough to decide who is deserving and who is not. I don't believe anyone else is either. What was your great accomplishment that makes you so deserving? You were the sperm that won the race against millions of other sperm to fertilize the egg that became you. Well done! So. That's something that will be reflected in my thoughts and stories in one way or another. I hope we can agree on that. If we can't, I invite you to tell me where we disagree. Now, to be clear, there are people whose right to exist is open to question. Osama bin Laden needed to stop existing. So did Hitler. Timothy McVeigh needed to draw breath no longer. There are others who may or may not belong on this list. But that is decided based upon their utterly inexcusable behaviors, not upon whether I approve of how they spend what money they have. I'm uncertain about who deserves death, and I welcome new ideas about it. Second, I believe empathy is what makes us human. Your ability to feel for someone other than yourself gives birth to compassion. It feeds into love and it helps you to behave morally. You won't kill a child, not because it's against the law, 
but because you can feel for the child. You can feel for her parents. You can feel for all those who loved her. A lion really can't do that. Can a dog? I don't know. That's an interesting question. I'm open to ideas and evidence on that one. Third, I believe the aim of public education ought to be to enable students to examine alternatives and make the choices most likely to bring about the desired outcomes. I don't believe standardized testing shows one's ability to do that, and job training isn't nearly enough. Fourth, I recognize evil exists, but I believe it must be taught. I believe love is our natural state. It is the first emotion we ever feel. It comes from and is given to our parents. When that isn't the case, evil can take root. Fifth, I believe some things are black and white. Racism is bad. There's not a lot of room for shades of gray on that one. There are certainly shades of gray in other issues, though. When does life begin? Do the needs of the many really outweigh the needs of the few? Is Star Trek better than Star Wars? And finally, I am an idealist. In my ideal world, wage slavery has ended. We no longer trade hours of our lives for little bits of green paper by doing labor that leaves us as exhausted as it does unfulfilled. In my world, Captain Picard's words are true. The acquisition of wealth, he tells us, is no longer the driving force in our lives. We work to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. Our physiological and safety needs are met, and we try to get the rest of the way up Maslow's hierarchy as best we can. Love and belonging, esteem, and self-actualization are up to each individual. Survival is the gift of the world we have worked so hard to build. I'll be encouraging us to help create such a world. The fact that we won't get there in my lifetime is irrelevant. It's still the star by which to sail our tall ship. I think those have held true for the last year. While the podcast has evolved into an entirely different sound than any show outside of the Mindwave neighborhood, it has been consistent at its core. I'm sure you can hear the difference between what we are and what we were. The growth is exciting. I'm proud of it. Many of you are relatively new listeners. I don't blame you for having missed the earliest episodes. They weren't as good as later work. But hey, if you judged Star Trek The Next Generation solely on the basis of its first season, you would have missed some of the greatest hours of television ever produced. Not everyone is the West Wing, which hit the ground running. So I'll bring you up to speed a little bit. I knew I wanted to make fiction a part of my show, and my second episode was a decent effort at that, but I still didn't know how to use the software to make it anything more than it was. I needed Wimpy for that. He was an old friend from work who had some experience in broadcasting. He joined the show for some time. 
Here's the very short story I used as the heart of my second episode. The music of Tom Waits was coming from El Floridita on the corner of Fountain and Vine, and the sign on the restroom door said, out of order. She went in anyway. Mirrors are never out of order. She looked at herself, dissatisfied. She wasn't a little girl anymore. It was time to stop acting like one. She unbuttoned the top of her blouse a little. She let her hair down from the bun atop her head. She opened her purse to search for makeup. There, she found her car key, with the little monkey attached to it. Zoe had won it when she was five. Her mother had let her have a quarter to play one of those grocery store games with toys and a forklift. She had retrieved the monkey on her first attempt. She had, over the last 20 years, confided every childish secret to the stuffed animal. She had others. They were larger, they were more cuddly, but they weren't George. George was special. And now, she thought, unnecessary. She would be finding more exciting treasures soon, retrieving them from where they had lain buried for millennia. She fixed her makeup, she fluffed her hair, and with George in her right hand, she left the restroom to invite the man she had just met to walk her home. Out of order When you're not around I'm out of order and I can't be found So just save it for a rainy day Just save it for a rainy day Jim, looking down, walked into El Floridita. It was here he had met Zoe two years ago. She had just graduated from UCLA, and she was already being recruited for archaeological studies in Egypt, and he had just been tapped to be in charge of the new King Tut exhibit at the California Science Center. They fell in love over talk of embalming corpses in the distant past, and it hadn't been long before they decided to pursue their futures together. This was the first time he'd have been back to El Floridita since he'd left her three weeks ago. The place seemed somehow emptier than it ever had before. Even though there was a large crowd, some of whom were complaining about the restroom being out of order. A plumber, they were assured, was on the way. He wondered if she ever came back here. It had been, after all, their place. He felt almost as though he were cheating on her walking in here without her. But her number had been deleted from his phone and his from hers, and they had gone their separate ways. She wanted to explore the Pyramid of Djoser, and he wanted to start a family on his curator's salary. They couldn't do both. They both had to move on, alone. And he couldn't stay here another minute without her. He left as he came in, wondering if she was happy in her life, then looked up to see the sunshine. He walked down the sidewalk, grass popping up between the bricks, and he never saw the car key and the stuffed monkey lying there, looking helpless. I followed it with my improvised teacher gig, asking questions and discussing the story. 
It wasn't bad, I just hadn't figured out what one can really do with a story yet. I was learning. Wimpy managed to make the music work properly, and he joined the show for the next 30 episodes or so in an effort to make us into something along the lines of the Moving Forward podcast, which was the genesis of this show. He was a good foil for my idealism, and we had some interesting conversations from time to time. He also provided some great comedy bits for the middle of the show. I made a ridiculous move in January of this year, and I spent more than $200 to buy myself music to which I owned the rights for use in my show. I can recommend Artlist.io for that purpose. Previous to that, I had been using music I didn't own and simply hoping that being so small, I would get by with it. It was the music my friends had written and either they didn't notice or they didn't care. No one has made me take them down yet. I needed to be bigger though and I couldn't do that without violating copyright. I spent the money because I wanted to break through the glass ceiling with an Andrew Yang episode I could post in all of my Yang Gang groups. And it was record breaking. Emily Dickinson's little bird could tell us that Andrew Yang can lead us to a kinder, more compassionate, and more unified world. When poverty is gone, cooperation will be more important than competition. Hope, which is the seed of love, will grow like weeds when life is free from desperation. And love will save the world. Andrew Yang ended his book, The War on Normal People, with these words. Through all of the doubt, the cynicism, the ridicule, the hatred and anger, we must fight for a world that is still possible. Imagine it in our hearts and minds and fight for it with all of our hearts and spirits. As hands reach out, clutching at our arms, take them and pull them along. Fight through the whipping branches of selfishness and despair and resignation Fight for each other like our souls depend on it. Climb to the hilltop and tell others behind us what we see. What do you see? And build a society we want on the other side. Get up, it's time to go. What makes you human? The better world is still possible. Come, fight with me. Let's begin our fight for our brave new world by electing Andrew Yang President of these United States. At the end of February, Wimpy left the show to play video games full-time, and I began to retool. The show went from being the Front Porch Podcast to Fred's Front Porch Podcast. 
Michelle Sylvester created a beautiful painting for my show, and it's the logo to this day. My first episode after his exit was about one of the few celebrities I actually know personally, at least insofar as we trade messages twice a year on Facebook, and she always talks to me for as much as three minutes after any of her shows I'm fortunate enough to attend. Sarah Nimitz. It wasn't just about her artistry, but about the kindness of my friends who put together the resources for me to see what turned out to be her last live show before the world ground to a halt. And it became one of my most popular episodes. Then, something happened. I got a message from my hero, Sarah Nimitz. I was aware that she was recording a live album and that only a few select people were going to be allowed to attend the recording. It was, for obvious reasons, very expensive. It's being a part of history. I'll go into that in a few minutes with something I wrote on Facebook. It's watching great art being created right before your eyes. It's something I had never considered doing. I don't have that kind of money. I'm lucky to make rent every month. Sarah told me that one of her fans had bought two tickets and he had asked her to donate them to a person who could appreciate them. She thought of me. I was, in a word, ecstatic. My desire to go was intense. I was going to watch Michelangelo paint the Sistine Chapel. I replied that I absolutely wanted the tickets and that while I had no idea how I was going to raise the money to get from Mesa, Arizona to Santa Monica, California, I was going to be there. It was too important for me to skip. My interest in doing more of my own fiction, along with continuing the introspection that seems to be a symptom of old age, caused me to start making podcasts out of my Horus stories. The first one I did was called The Haunting of Horus, and I really had a good time with that. I told a story that could well be called supernatural, but left me the out of a possible rational explanation for a girl from Horace's deep past projecting herself into his life from hundreds of miles and decades of distance between them. Rhiannon became my favorite character about whom to write. This is probably my favorite Rhiannon scene. It's from an episode called Horace's Run for the Roses. Wells, Maine. Friday, October 19, 1979, 8.49 p.m. The band was off the field, and the football players were streaming onto it. Horace looked up when he heard a scream from among the cheerleaders. He saw Bob Amity grabbing Rhiannon, turning her around, throwing his helmet to the ground, and kissing her full on the mouth. Horace stood frozen infuriated for just a moment and then unsnapped his drum and let it fall to the ground. His insides were suddenly, it felt, physically burning. His skin turned red. His vision glazed over for a bit and Rhiannon's image was nothing more than a glow. Horace had never felt anything like this before. It was anger. It was jealousy. It was horror. 
He would spend decades afterward wondering whether it had been love. He never decided. At that moment, there was only one decision he could make. Bob had to be stopped, Rhiannon had to be saved. And that's when Gary grabbed his arm. What do you think you're doing? He can't do that. He didn't ask. She didn't want it. And what did you think you were going to do? Horace tried to wrest his arm from Gary's firm grip. Stop him? Gary smiled. He's twice your size. He's in better physical condition. He'll kick your pansy ass. I don't care. Let go. Rhiannon was backing away, trying to escape Bob's grasp, and the football players were whooping and hollering. Get some, Bobby boy, yelled the place kicker. Even if you could take him, the rest of the football team would kick your ass. Then I would have to go back you up, and I can't take out more than maybe three of them, and then I'm getting my ass kicked too. The cheerleaders rushed off the benches toward the incident, and suddenly there was a crack that shocked the entire field into silence. Rhiannon's slap was the shot heard round the world of Wells, Maine. Bobby stood frozen in disbelief. His left cheek was even redder than Horace's forehead. There was a noticeable glint of a tear in his eye. Horace's heart grew three sizes at that moment, and he found himself hovering a solid three inches off the ground as a hush fell across the stadium. He felt pride. He felt ecstasy. He felt respect. He felt the joy of ten Horaces plus two. He felt a poet born in his heart. She doth teach the torches to burn bright, he whispered to himself. Rhiannon maintained her fighting stance, slightly sideways to Bobby, with her eyes locked on his. Her right arm was extended toward Bobby, palm up and fingers extended. After a brief, awkward moment, Rhiannon slowly flexed her index and middle fingers twice, taunting Bobby to try her again. The frank menace in her unblinking glare left little doubt about the meaning of the gesture. The air was thick with tension. For a seemingly endless moment, no one spoke or moved. Then, Bobby's posture suddenly deflated. This was no win for him. Whatever he did or said, he knew he had already lost. Best to beat a retreat. As he broke the grip of her stare, Rhiannon made not a sound, but her eyes spoke clearly to anyone who could see them. You will remember this if you ever think about assaulting a woman again. She looked around the stadium at everyone watching. The edges of her lips climbed imperceptibly before she looked back at Bobby as though to say, No amount of popularity will ever give you the right to take dignity from a woman. Try that again, and a slapped cheek will be the least of your worries. Rhiannon took a breath, turned, and walked silently off the field, being sure to keep her head held high. 
these weren't nearly as popular as I hoped they would be, so I went back to one of the most exciting stories I've ever taught, the most dangerous game. A former student of mine actually told me I had her on the edge of her seat, even though she already knew the story. I had taught it to her some 20 odd years ago. And this became a useful episode for another reason that will become apparent in a moment. I have but one passion in my life, Mr. Rainsford, and it is the hunt. You have some wonderful heads here, said Rainsford as he ate a particularly well-cooked filet mignon. That Cape Buffalo is the largest I ever saw. Oh, that fellow. Yes, he was a monster. Did he charge you? Hurled me against a tree, said the general. Fractured my skull, but I got the brute. I've always thought, said Rainsford, that the Cape Buffalo is the most dangerous of all big game. For a moment, the general did not reply. He was smiling his curious, red-lipped smile. Then he said, slowly, No, you are wrong, sir. The Cape Buffalo is not the most dangerous big game. He sipped his wine. Here, in my preserve on this island, he said in the same slow tone, I hunt more dangerous game. The episode showed enough of my skill in creating exciting audio that it was enough to convince Jenner Zeno of Mindwave Universe and Studio Stargazer fame that I was someone with whom he would like to work. We did a crossover conversation podcast and he asked me to do a short piece for his Light of Morning series. I had already begun working on a reading of Wind, Sand, and Stars by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. It concerned the murdered Mozarts, who were doomed to spend their lives without any chance to pursue their passions, or even learn what they were. It is a beautiful but depressing piece. I decided to follow that with my message of life. This catastrophe may well destroy much of our world. When it does, we will rebuild. It's what humans do. When we rise like a phoenix from the ashes of our despair, what brave new world will we create? Can we ensure all of us have our physical and safety needs met so we can begin to ascend Maslow's pyramid instead of breaking our bodies and spirits to construct our modern pharaoh's pointless pyramids? Imagine all the children fed. See the infants smiling when they have baby food slipping down the edges of their tiny lips. Imagine all the homeless in their own dwellings directing their own lives. Imagine what the murdered Mozarts will create when we take them from the tossing train and deposit them in their own homes, loved by their own families. Start with kindness. Continue with empathy. Follow the course of the brightest star in your sky. 
let it teach you, and then just shine. That got the attention of both Corey Cottrell, thank you for the message, Corey, and Greg Smith of the thrice weekly show, Hashtag Coffee. Greg was really blown away by it because he's a fan of the French author. He and Corey began plugging Fred's front porch on their show pretty frequently. From them, I picked up several more listeners. My numbers took off when all those folks started sharing the show. I was delighted. Then came the most exciting moment of my podcasting career, Horace's Final Five. The episode is my 50th, and it is based on my 50th blog post. It's about my death. And I wanted to live until June 2nd just to see it get into the world. Jenner is a creative composer of background music, and I begged him to write me a soundtrack for the episode. He designed a complete soundscape. Extended Stay in Phoenix, Arizona, September 2nd, 2019, 3.14 a.m. Horace experienced nothing. Sleep includes, from time to time at least, some sort of dreams. What dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil? Horus lacked awareness of his very existence. Dreams imply a form of consciousness. Consciousness hid in the nothingness. A voice flickered into existence. Horace's eyes might have opened. They might not have. They existed, though. Mark Antony floated over the bed on which Horace lay, dying. The entity appeared in every outward way to be Marlon Brando, playing Mark Antony in the 1953 film version. But Horace knew it was Mark Antony anyway. His voice came from everywhere at once. It was both booming and soothing. It echoed without pretense. He spoke the lines Horace had spent his life preparing to hear. This was the noblest Roman of them all. All the conspirators, save only he, did that they did in envy of great Caesar. He only, in a general honest thought, in common good to all, made one of them. His life was gentle, and the elements so mixed in him that nature might stand up and say to all the world, he stopped. There was a pause that seemed to stretch into eternity. Finally, he sighed in a distinctly disappointed fashion and said, I got nothing. The ability to produce something this good excited me. 
and I decided I wanted to continue to live simply because I could make something beautiful. A few weeks later, I got one of the most wonderful messages I ever received. My favorite singer, Sarah Nimitz, sent me this. It's a shame she didn't call in, but no one really believed she would. Forget what the commercial said. Hi, Fred. Just wanted to tell you I listened to your Horace episode and really enjoyed it. I was drawn in immediately. I will confess, for many things, I have quite a short attention span, but your podcast was so compelling, the time flew, and I was very interested to hear more. Thank you for your art. I cried. If you don't know why, I will be unable to make you understand. Since then, my show has become increasingly political in nature because I see the world falling apart. This has been useful from time to time when I was on Facebook and people would tell me COVID was a hoax. I had an episode for that. Should we defund the police? I did half an hour on that subject. At this point, I feel like I've done enough politics for a while. By now, you're either voting for Biden or you're not. And there's little I can do to change your mind. Would it help if I mentioned Trump called those who served suckers and losers? I know, you'll deny he said that even though Fox confirmed it. Okay, that's it for politics tonight. Since Horace, Jenner and I have begun collaborating on nearly every episode I've done. and We're changing the sound of podcasting. We refer to adding voices, effects, music, and the soundscape as forcing the shit out of something. And Jenner believed in me, my mission, and my art so much that though he lives in the same poverty I do, he bought me the starship in which I'm traveling the universe at this very moment. Thank you, Jenner. Listeners told me that 30 minutes is about all the time they have for an episode, and I'm going to work hard to keep most of my episodes to that length. I know the most valuable asset you have is your minutes. And Aaron Sorkin, who also forgot to call in, tells me the artist's job is to captivate you for as long as we ask you for your attention. I will release you from your captivity in just a few minutes, I promise. Thank you to those of you who have been here from the beginning. Is there actually anyone besides me who has heard all 63 of the preceding episodes? Thank you to those of you who have listened to every episode since you've discovered the show. Thank you to those of you hearing it for the first time. I still intend to change the world. To do that, I need more people to listen. I also need to make enough money to survive. If you have money you would like to contribute to that cause, my Patreon is in the show notes. I will be grateful to you. If you don't have any money, you can always call the show and share your voice with the rest of the votes sitting on the front porch. The number is in the notes. We would love to hear from you. If you're not comfortable with that, you could share this show with your friends. This helps us to grow, too. My friend Scott shared one episode with his friend Zareph, and Zareph has become a regular listener. 
That means a great deal. So, where are we headed from here? You should expect a few more stories in the next few weeks. I haven't done any fiction for 14 weeks unless you count Time Jumper, which is a lot of fun. It's time to return to art for a little while. For now, we're going to continue to be a small but hopeful community, trying to change one idea in one mind at a time. And yet, I do love you. Postscripts. Comments left on my page. Wayne Young. To thine own self be true. Compassion requires us to act, to address injustice. So, in pursuant of your quest, is being true to yourself. What would you do otherwise? Dr. Ross Ross. Rightfully proud. The message is real, it's honest, it's realistic, and it's optimistic. From someone who is living the life that is working to embrace this specific tech field, taking on the effort and difficulty of learning enough of the field to move within it in a creative way. Learning how to use technology, creativity, usefulness, and sweet aesthetics to send a message that has the potential to be of benefit to many people in this world. It must include the very real necessity of providing some degree of physical and emotional support. That is why it is important to support the engaged, brave, and humane people who have made some significant commitment to work hard and be of benefit in some truly meaningful way in a very troubled world. My respects to you, Fred. You de best. Ron Russell. Production, polish, and professionalism count in creating media. I used to think that if the content was good enough, then that would carry the channel slash subscribers. Nope. Keep up the great work, Fred. Alan Noakes. That was fun to watch and listen to. Never really understood podcast till recently. Perhaps one needs to explore more. Getting exposure is important. In, I'm trying that myself in a different way with rather amateur poetry videos on YouTube. Who knows? Maybe one day you will explode too. Carrie Borkland Dedeo. It's amazing that it's been a year. Great job. I enjoy your voice and the topics you choose. I listen in chunks, though, because the episodes seem really long. It's hard for me to pay attention that long. Cindy Mandel. 30 minutes is just right. 